Welcome to Field Notes by Ag Choice, a podcast series covering timely, relevant topics for Pennsylvania's agricultural and rural communities. Each episode will include an interview of an Ag Choice expert or one of our industry partners discussing information you need to know. My name is Rachel Fadizen. Many of our listeners might not realize it, but January 23rd is National Pie Day, which is certainly something to celebrate. With me today is Susan Lynn of Sand Hill Berries, a small fruits farm in southwestern Pennsylvania. In addition to the berries and fruits grown, Sand Hill Berries is also known for their baked goods and especially their delicious pies. Today we'll learn from Susan about their operation and specifically more about their pies. Susan, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. So first, uh, let's learn a little bit more about Sand Hill Berries. Could you share with us uh, about your operation there? Yes. Uh, we have been in business for over 30 years. We first planted our berries in 1986. Uh, initially, we were a partnership between my sister and myself and my brother-in-law and my husband. And we planted... Uh, about 26 acres of berries and did all wholesale for several years. Uh, We first got involved in berries because it's somewhat locally famous and actually in the horticultural world worldwide, Ogilvy floral, which uh, uh, grew geraniums around the world, uh, started a project where they were growing what's called tissue culture raspberries. And they're raspberries that are grown from germplasm in a test tube, so they are completely disease-free and particularly for viruses, uh, virus-free. And that's very important for raspberries because that is a killer of raspberries. Uh, Plant virus uh, causes their early demise as a plant and it causes their yield to go down dramatically. So when berries became able to be developed Uh, completely clean, the raspberry industry changed. And so we started that in 86. We planted berries in 87. We had a terrible drought in 87. We replanted in 88. (laughs) We harvested in 88 in spite of the drought. We harvested our first black raspberries in 87. And so on. We just kept uh, realizing greater and greater yield until the third year. And then we leveled off, and so we had many years of excellent harvests. We initially had the idea that we would do all wholesale. Part of the reasoning for this was that we felt that we could not really have the local population to have a retail operation. However, um, Nancy Hanst of what was then the Pittsburgh Press wrote an article about our operation in the Pittsburgh paper And we soon found out that people were very interested in red raspberries and black raspberries and drove from Pittsburgh to our location to purchase them. So that was kind of a turning point in our business's history because we did, from then on, also have, in addition to the wholesale, a retail business. And we also had a business doing festivals such as the Westmoreland County Arts and Heritage Festival. It's called the, um, well, that's what's called the uh, Westmoreland Arts and Heritage Festival. And we also uh, became involved in the Ligonier, uh, Fort Ligonier Day at the end of October. We had our own festival, and we also, our very first festival, 
was the Mount Pleasant Class Festival, and then we also did Rib Cook-Off Festivals, where we actually used our excess berries to make raspberry topping, and we served it over top of homemade cheesecake that we made here, and ice cream sundaes, and uh, raspberry shortcake. So that was the basis of our business. Then uh, the farm market industry, if you want to call it an industry, began, and, and farm market just burgeoned. And also, we became less interested in wholesale as farm markets grew. So we had still had excess berries that we were not able to sell, even though we might be going to seven to nine farm markets a week. So we uh, established a winery to take care of our excess fruits. And initially, we were only interested in becoming a fruit winery, but we changed that so we now make both traditional wines and fruit wineries. So our excess fruit that could not be sold on retail or wholesale went to the winery. And then one really thing that more or less shocked us whenever we first got involved in raspberries was that through hand-picking, there would be many, many berries that would but not be saleable at a supermarket level or even a retail level because they would be they would have been missed from the picking the day before. We pick every bear, every row, every day. And maybe they were a little too soft, maybe they were too juicy, maybe it got picked too soon and it was broken. So there were many berries that were perfectly good to eat but were not saleable from the standpoint of appearance. So that's when we got involved in value-added processing. We started making jam, uh, not lower sugar jams, jams without seeds, and we started baking pies for our farm market sales. So that kind of extended our business to cover what we thought at the time would be all bases. And it still is the very basis of our business. What we have dropped is we have worked to have a more spring to late fall approach to everything we grow. So we're working to have no time of the year where we do not have something fresh in the small fruits line that is not grown here. So everything we grow here, that's been a business principle that we've adhered to. Every small fruit that we sell here was grown here. So we do not augment our sales with outside purchases. So that's a little bit about how we got started. That's uh, that's a great story there, uh, Susan, and always interesting to hear how farms and businesses you know grow and change, and you certainly uh, certainly did that. So next, let's talk more about the delicious pies that you make at Sandhill Berries. And I have been fortunate enough to have tasted your pies in the past, and I can attest that they that they are outstanding. You know, I still dream of that, you know, big berry pie that I had. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit more about your pie operation there? Uh, sure. I think we started making pies when we first went to um, the uh, – Allegheny County rib cook-off, and we thought at the time we had were making uh, sundaes and shortcakes at the at at the festival that we and cheesecakes that we had made at the Mount Pleasant Glass Festival. The next year, we applied to have a booth at Allegheny County rib cook-off, and we thought, 
won't it be nice to have some raspberry and blackberry pie? So um, we knew someone who was a neighbor of my parents who had worked for Columbia Gas for many, many years, retired from there, and then owned a bakery in a neighboring town, and then retired from there and ran his own um, private bakery out of his out of a, a shop that he had on his own property as a sort of hobby slash retirement project. Uh, this man uh, shared his pie recipe to with us, and he had us up to his house and taught us everything he knew about pie dough. Came down here and showed us how to bake pies. We had one oven at the time, and he gave us his pie dough recipe, which is not a small batch recipe, but it's not large in the normal sense of large. Our pie dough recipe makes eight pounds at any one for any one batch, and we never make more than that. Uh, so that's how we got started in that crust. His crust was very famous locally. Everybody loved his pie crust. Most people do like our pie crust. Um, there are some people who claim that their pie crust is better, and I don't doubt it because eight pounds is a lot of pie crust to make at one time. <laughs> so uh, we do that because any less amount would be, you know, we would not be able to make the number of pies that we do. Plus, we have very few people who are critical of our pie crust, so that's a good thing. It's, uh, it really attests to that man's recipe. And um, that's our crust. So we have really, for making pies, division of labor here. You know, someone measures the dough. Another person mixes the dough, puts the Crisco in, mixes the dough. Another person makes the pie filling. Another person makes... The, does the rolling. Uh, another, then the next step is the filling of the pies, actually putting, putting the filling into the pie and topping the pie with the top crust and then baking the pies. So that's all handled in a kind of a assembly line fashion, not all at the same time. So one day we may make the dough, the next day we may roll the dough. But basically everything that we do here is still done by hand, and we visually inspect everything. And our pie rolling takes place either by hand or uh, with the use of a hand rolling machine. So we can shape the pie dough and actually crank the dough through and roll it that way instead of using a rolling pin, although we still do use a rolling pin uh, very often. So... Those are the two ways we do that. So that's a hand process. Um, we make our filling here, and that's something that's kind of unusual. So we take the berries, uh, raspberries and blackberries have a pH that's too high to thicken with flour. We thicken them with tapioca and cornstarch. We have to soak the tapioca. We don't use minute tapioca. We use old-fashioned granulated tapioca, and we have to cook that. We cook all our fillings completely to done stage so that they're clear and ready to go in the pie so that we know that when we put that crust on top and we have the crust on the bottom, all we have to really do is bake that crust and the pie will be finished. 
So we no longer have to worry about boiling the filling inside the pie in order to get a clear, uh, beautiful filling. So we have many more than that one oven that we had back in 1990, and we use them all the time. And many times uh, of the year during festivals and during Thanksgiving season and Christmas season, we have to carefully plan the use of our ovens. <laughs> and sometimes they're going late into the night and early in the morning. So that's how we do the pies. Great. Well, I'm sure part of the reason why your pies are so delicious is because of the farm-grown berries used to make them. Guess what have you found to be the keys to success to growing top-quality berries, Susan? Uh, well, um, there's been a lot of changes in the uh, berry growing industry over the past 30 years. Uh, when we first started, uh, there were things as simple as putting berries on trellis because the new virus-free raspberries were so much more vigorous than anything that had been grown before. So we're coming from that, which is now considered very primitive, to new phases of growing, which includes the growing in high tunnels. And even past the growing in high tunnels, a high tunnel, by the way, is a, a semi-permanent greenhouse that's out in the field. It's a plastic-covered sort of Quonset hut affair, which can be taken down each year and put back up again. Um, so even progressing beyond that, there's a berry-growing industry of long canes, which is growing canes one year, storing them in a near-freezing cooler, and saving them until they can be set outside in pots and ripened for the appropriate time when you need the berries to be harvested. So you can actually time them. This has been done in Europe for many years and it's beginning to be done, beginning to be done in this country. Um, the other thing that's happening in some places in the world, they're actually growing acres and acres of raspberries under fully retractable covers. That will never happen here. <laughs> That's a very, very uh, uh, money-intensive operation, but worth it in some areas of the globe where they're concentrating on high-volume agriculture. Uh, here, we're not concentrating on high volume. Uh, we're counting. We're concentrating on our low carbon footprint. So, I would say the most important things uh, for growing berries is sun. Everything has to be in the sun. Water, uh, berries need water. If it's not raining, they've got to be irrigated. Water, if it's raining too much, they're going to become um, moldy in the field if you're not accurately and, and actively picking them every single day. And um, that is another place where high tunnels come in. A lot of people in education and extension who are growing berries said they would never put a planting in of raspberries at this point in time unless it was in a high tunnel. A high tunnel, you're essentially irrigating all the time, but you have very little fungus on the berries because they don't come in contact with rain. Pruning, the pruning has to be done correctly, and then, of course, nutrition. Uh, some varieties require a lot of extra nutrition, some not so much, and the time of year for the nutrition is actually very important also. 
And when to pick? We pick every single day. And Mother Nature makes it easy to know when to pick raspberries. When they're ready, they come off the vine. Not so easy with blackberries because there the receptacle is staying inside the berry. In other words, there's not a hole in the blackberry. So sometimes the blackberry will be ripe on the outside facing the sun, red on the inside, too tart. They're a little harder to pick. And then if it's a thorny variety, they're very difficult to pick. Black raspberries, the same as red raspberries. When they are ready, they come off their uh, what's called the receptacle. It's the little inside of the berry. And when you pick that berry off, that part stays on the bush, and there's a well or a hole in the berry itself. That's the difference between picking blackberries and black raspberries and red raspberries. So as uh, we begin to wrap up here, Susan, uh, you know, National Pie Day is coming up. Could you share with our listeners what kind of pie you will be enjoying that day as well as anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners here today? We will be putting National Pie Day out on social media, and we will be encouraging people to come to the store and get whatever kind of pie they like. Uh, we don't typically introduce a new pie at this time of year. Last year, we actually did introduce a new pie, and we called it something that your readers might be interested in because people always wonder, raspberries are bestseller. Let me say that right out. Uh, is it the best pie? My father always liked blackberry, and we always called that the pie eater's pie. So this past summer, we made a pie that was half raspberry and half blackberry, so people wouldn't, who were trying to decide wouldn't have to choose. And we called that pie um, Rhythm and Blues because we called it R&B for a long time, and then I thought, R&B, that's Rhythm and Blues. So everybody <laughs> simply loved that name. So that was our new pie development for 2020. And um, we will have that pie. You can order it. And then another pie that we made um, that we don't grow peaches, we have to buy our peaches, but we made a pie at Easter for many years called raspberry peach, and we began making it on a regular basis in 2020. So for your listeners who have been here, those are two pies that they might not have heard of before that they might want to try. Also, we are peeling apples uh, almost daily, and we are making both Dutch apple pies and double-crust apple pies, and we only use our own apples, and so they're considered a seasonal pie. But I would have to say that next to raspberry, apple pies of either variety are probably the most popular. So we'll be expecting to make a lot of raspberry and a lot of apple pies. Well, great. Well, Susan, thanks so much for joining our podcast. It has been great to hear about your operation and really all the hard work that goes into growing the berries and making the pies. And just want to say to everyone out there, uh, enjoy National Pie Day. <laughs> well, we certainly will here. And thanks so much for having us on this podcast, Rachel. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Listen to other episodes of Field Notes by Ag Choice posted at agchoice.com slash podcast.